This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. It says, It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. So the Hebrew writer here is expanding upon his previous discussion, or really just continuing what he had began talking about in chapter 6 and earlier in this chapter about Jesus as Melchizedek, or Jesus in his role as priest and king. And here specifically he's talking about Jesus's intercessory role as a priest and how it compares to the Old Covenant and how he is a much better priest, how he is an intercessor and a priest of a much better covenant. And an intercessor, just so you know, we're on the same page in terms of what how the Bible uses that word. It's defined as one an intercessor is one who comes to either alter or prevent the outcome of events on behalf of somebody else, right? When you intercede from some for someone else, you're wanting to change something that's going to happen uh, to them. Um, or affect them in some way. And the scripture is telling us all men and women need an intercessor before God. When it comes to our standing with God and being reconciled to him, uh, we need an intercessor. And so in the old covenant and in, in Moses's time, the system that God set up was an inter- intercessory system, but it was temporary. He had this order of priests that he chose from a specific family, those of Levi. Um, and then there was the high priest who could only come from an even more specific family. That'd be descended from Aaron, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they would intercede on behalf of the people, right? Uh, and they would off, they would minister at the tabernacle and they would, um, you know, sacrifice and, and sacrifice the animals that people would bring and uh, tend to the altar and tend to the showbread and all the all the trappings that were associated with with the tabernacle and they did this perpetually as as a service first and foremost to God but it was uh, mediatorial it was intercessory it was on behalf of the the people the Israelites whom uh, they were serving and so that's what the writer is talking about here is he's is he's comparing Jesus's role now in the new covenant as as the supreme uh, and only high priest continuing that role perpetually he's he's our intercessor uh, in Hebrews um, 7 here he, as he's describing that that role uh, he in, in comparing what Jesus does versus the the old covenant priest is that he's since he is eternal uh, he doesn't and since his sacrifice is perfect, he doesn't have to continue offering sacrifices. Uh, he his when he offered up himself, it was the perfect and most acceptable sacrifice to God on, on our behalf. And all of us need needed that sacrifice, and will continue to need that sacrifice if we're going to be reconciled to God, uh, because there's an outcome to your life and mine, and that is eventually we're we're going to stand before Him in judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. We're going to answer to God for all that we've ever said, done, or thought that 
in this life that was an affront to his will. We're going to die. We're going to be judged. And the creator of all things, he's fixed a day, Paul says, in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness through a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed. Acts 17, 31. So in other words, God's ultimately going to hold us accountable for the way that we've chosen to live. And you and I can do nothing to change the inevitability of that event. Nothing in all creation. Remember in chapter 4 of Hebrews, we read that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And when that time comes, Paul says we're going to be repaid for the deeds that we did in the body, whether good or evil, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And so I, I say all that, I read those passages to just reinforce in our minds and impress upon us the need for an intercessor, the need for someone to stand in and intervene and, and, and keep us from eternal condemnation. Because God has promised eternal condemnation and death, the full weight of his wrath to those who have forsaken the only one, the only intercessor that he's appointed to save people from that outcome. And that is Jesus Christ, his son. Scripture says in Romans 3.10 that all um, no, that no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So sin, sin is the reason why you and I will face eternal death unless, again, someone intercedes for us. And not just anybody, not just anybody, but the one whom Scripture says that God has chosen on whom God appointed to do that very thing. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So the, the way this one man became the mediator of a better covenant, as the writer Hebrew writer will talk about in Hebrews chapter 8, was by giving himself, sacrificing himself as a ransom for all, as he, he described there in, in chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. And so he um, he doesn't need to continually to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. It was he was the one chosen, and he was chosen for a specific time. And once he fulfilled that mission and accomplished his purpose, uh, that was it. God exalted him to the highest place at His right hand. He is King. He is Priest. He's the only mediator you and I will ever need before God, and the only one really that is acceptable. And the giving of himself, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus offered himself as a guilt offering. So Jesus became the means of forgiveness for everybody. And forgiveness is the only way anyone can be justified before God. The only way anyone can truly be righteous in God's sight is for Jesus to take and remove all of that guilt and all of that sin forgive us. Paul tells the church in Colossians, he says in Colossians 1.22, that Jesus has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. All right. So again, who, who's the means to that end? How can, how can we be holy? How can we be blameless? How can we be beyond reproach in, in the sight of God? Well, it's through the death of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to die? The Bible 
tells us is revealing that the, the that again we need that intercessor and there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood the bible reveals that physical life is dependent on blood leviticus 17:11 and blood is necessary for spiritual life also now i don't know why god set it up that way i mean i can look at and read leviticus 17 and 11 and see what he says that the life of all flesh is in the blood and that's why it's offered on the altar to make atonement for one's soul um i mean it was you know through those animal sacrifices offering animal blood that israel could find atonement but the hebrew writer reveals in chapter 10 that it's not possible that the blood of animals he says the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins Right. And so his point is, is that system was temporary and it was always pointing forward to a, a perfect sacrifice that was needed to com- to take away sins, to completely remove them. And that perfect sacrifice, blood sacrifice, was offered by Christ. That's the only one that has the power to take away one's sins and reconcile an individual to God. Paul says in Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were alienated from God, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's a wonderful truth to seize upon. We, we as for all of our faults and imperfections and all of our evil thoughts and the dark places we go to in our minds and in our hearts, that we've been to before and all the sin that we entertain. When we repent and submit to Christ, we can be blameless before God. We can be reconciled to Him because of the forgiveness that Christ extends to us. And the Bible does describe it as a gift and even a free gift, depending on your translation. And that's what it is. It's beyond anything we could ever deserve or merit. Uh, but it still has conditions, and you don't have to. You don't have to look very far. Now you're going to find someone, and maybe you're out there listening right now, and you think, "Well, that can't. That can't be right." It's not. If it's got conditions, then it's not free. But just listen to what the scripture says. It does say that it is a free gift, but there are also conditions, and and you don't have to look very far to see those. For example, in Colossians one twenty three, which is the the rest of that that verse that passage that I began a moment ago. So. Let me read verse 22 again. Uh, Jesus has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death to present you before God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's just part of the sentence. So there's the wonderful gift and promise to be holy, blameless, beyond reproach in God's sight. But verse 23 says, if. Verse 23 starts with, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And so it is through faith in Christ that we can access the grace of God that he's offering. Only in him, in fellowship with him, can we have any hope of a future beyond this life. If Jesus doesn't intercede for you, and if he doesn't intercede for me, we're going to be condemned with absolute certainty. The Hebrew writer, at the top of chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says this, he says, Now the main point in what has been said is this, is that we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, 
minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord has made, not man. And so, again, he's reminding us, unlike the Aaronic, the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, Christ, his sacrifice is so special and so powerful. He offered his own blood at the true mercy seat of God in heaven, Hebrews 9.24. And because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy, Hebrews 4.15 and 16. So, make no mistake, there's there are conditions, but Jesus' sacrificial work is done. It, it, it was all all him. He doesn't need to stand at the altar and to continually offer sacrifices. Um, his sacrifice is sufficient for all time. He is the means and the only means, again, by which we're going to be forgiven. But we have to take advantage of what he has done. And he's told us how to do that in his word. Right, so clearly he he draws a line somewhere, and we know that at at final judgment, there's you know as he describes in Matthew twenty five and other places, there's sheep and goats, and there's going to be those on his, those on his right hand, on his left hand, and and the the determining factor that the um, what's going to distinguish between the two groups is whether or not they had fellowship with Christ. He says to the ones on his left, "Depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you." And if you read that passage, they, Jesus says they, they're going to respond with protest, and they're going to say, um, they're going to even invoke his name, and they're going to talk about all the good things they did, and how they performed miracles and cast out demons and did X, Y, and Z. Um, but still, Jesus says, I never knew you. And so it is fellowship, genuine, uh, sincere, true fellowship with Christ that determines whether or not we're going to be saved. The decision is His and the judgment is His, but He has told us and revealed to us how, uh, what His criterion are, how we can be saved. All we have to do is just look into His Word and listen and humbly submit and stop trying to adapt it to suit our lives, rather adapt or change our lives to suit Him. And so we have to honestly ask ourselves if that's if we're doing our absolute best to do that every single day. Jesus Himself sits on the the throne at the right hand of God, the highest place of honor in the very presence of God, just as prophecy foretold that He would. And we're going to answer to him. Again, we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he doesn't want anyone to be condemned that day when your time comes. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, the writer says that he has, that Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. You know, the old covenant consisted of many earthly promises. It talked about length of life, length of life, and uh, an increase in population, and you know, big families, and a continual, uh, plentiful harvests, and national privileges for the Israelites, and peace and abundance and prosperity, so on and so forth. There's lots of those kinds of promises in the old covenant when God's people were faithful to their end of the covenant. But in the new covenant, mediated by Christ. 
the writer says it's characterized by spiritual blessings and promises that are even better of salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life and freedom from guilt and hope and mercy and, and peace with God and peace within ourselves and so, so many more things. But again, the only way we can access those blessings here and now is obedience to Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so the first covenant now is obsolete. Just look at verse 13 in chapter 8. The writer describes God finding fault with the, the first covenant. But again, it was always by his design, it was always by his plan that it would be temporary. And now having enacted this new covenant with new and better promises, with a new and better mediator, the invitation is extended to to all people. In, in, in verse 10, we see in chapter 8 that God desires people to receive his law in their hearts and, and in their minds, that it would be written on their hearts and minds, and that that, that would characterize his true disciples in, in the new covenant. Not people who are just going through the motions, you know, going and sitting in a pew on Sunday and just, you know, kind of sitting back and relaxing and just waiting until it's over. But people who are who earnestly seek him, as the writer will say in chapter 11 and verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who diligently seek him. You see, Jesus knows the difference. Yeah, he sees moral people out there. He sees people even invoking his name who go to church on Sundays, who are very um, good dads and good husbands and moms and so on and so forth. But he knows, he knows if your heart is truly in it. If you really are seeking him and desire a home with him and desire reconciliation to the Heavenly Father through him, and this new and better covenant and acting on better promises, He is the only way. He is the source of salvation to all who obey Him, Hebrews 5.9. And so we have to ask ourselves, that, that is that what I've done? Have I obtained the forgiveness that Jesus offers? Is He my source of salvation? Because I have submitted to His rule in my life. We can't have the hope of salvation until we obey Him from the heart. Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God, Paul says, that you became obedient from the heart. That's the obedience that matters. Is that what you're doing? Thanks for tuning in. This has been Faithful Sayings.